Hello and welcome to the Hall of Fame Movie Podcast. Listen to Matt Levy and Mark Rossi as they put their cinema studies degrees to good use and induct the best movies into their own Hall of Fame. Roll the camera. Hey guys, what's going on? I'll start with you, Mark. How are you? I'm feeling great. I'm very excited about getting the band back together. But for a non-Marvel movie, what's happening? Yeah, this is definitely a once-in-a-podcast experience because we're joined by Bill Burns. How are you, Bill? Hello, Bach. (laughs) Hello, Bach, it is. And we are not doing a Marvel hit. But Bill had to join us this week. He forced us. He begged us. He pleaded with us when we did this film because he's never seen it before and he thought it'd be fun to have. No, Bill, you you like this film a lot, I take it. I have seen it several times a year, every year. I don't know, for like probably 14 years now. (laughs) Yeah, some people, when they go to bed at night, they'll watch Nightmare Before Christmas, The Grinch, name your Disney classic, but not Bill Burns. He watches Jaws. Well, so I very rarely will I watch just clips of it. It's a thing where I'll have to watch the whole movie. Now, obviously having children makes it a little harder because I'd like to, I don't think they can handle violence, but I definitely know the effect the movie has on people and just swimming (laughs) per se. Yeah, fear of beaches. Yeah, I truly, obviously the older generations didn't have this movie until it came out. We kind of all grew up with a, common knowledge of that movie being out there and like my kids know about the shark and no jaws and they'll play and everything but i truly feel there's like two points in in someone's life it's like before they watch the movie and then after i don't i truly don't care who you are if you go swimming in a pool up a swimming pool at night the second you go underwater you're maybe like "Mm, something's it feels off so it's a pool you can't have a shark in it but it just it always stays with you. It definitely me. I mean, no. I think double that counts double for Blake Lively, who's she oh, yeah, probably saw Jaws. Is she here? And then she, Blake? And she, no. Come on, come on out, room. Blake. Mark, how many times? I'm sure you haven't watched this as many times as Bill, but this is a film you've seen a few times. Yeah, I've definitely seen it several times. It's probably like hovering right around 10, probably not in the multi times per year category, but it has had a lasting effect like Bill is just kind of referencing. I think there is that slight trepidation anytime I go into a body of water, even if it's like a lake right. or, or a pond. I went in a kiddie pool the other day. <laughs> yeah. If it's like, it's irrational, but I went, <laughs> I went in like a wave pool at Splish Splash as like a kid after seeing the movie. I'm like, I don't trust it. Yeah. I can see everything, yeah, but I still don't trust it. In your mind, somehow someone mm-hmm. has let a shark loose yep. in this body of water. Mm-hmm. I never assume that the shark itself found its way to the body of water that I'm currently swimming in. Right. But somehow someone has placed the shark in there. It Actually, the fear of that day, I'm just thinking about it, the fear of that day actually extended to the lazy river as well. Oh, yeah, <laughs> sure. Sharks so, are known for living in chlorinated water like we were swimming in. <laughs> right. This, exactly. this movie definitely does take its mental toll on you. It's a film that I've seen probably start to finish maybe three times, but if you're counting just television, it being on, I've probably seen it close to 10 times as well, Mark, where like it's 20 yeah. minutes in and like, oh, I, I have to watch this right now. Mm-hmm. But let's talk about Universal Pictures that that had the summer blockbuster. And some might say it's the first, I think most would. And this goes back to June 20th, 
1975. It is a thriller by a little known unknown director named Steven Spielberg based on the 1974 novel. Let's just start with that. Bill, what does this film mean to you? So it it really, I mean, I grew up, like I said, you've probably heard me on previous podcasts talk about how I grew up in the Star Wars movies being the constants I watched over and over again until the VHS wore off. I, this, I remember being the first movie that I kind of, it made me want to investigate more into the director. Watching the three Star Wars movies, I was perfectly happy just living in there. I didn't care who directed them, didn't care who they were from. I wasn't seeking out other stuff from this director. Good answer. Good answer. Hold on. I liked Willow a lot, actually. But this was the first time seeing him because this was the first Spielberg movie I saw. And I, 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 it was just something different. It was it was so well done. And just to- like at, at the time I was a kid, so I couldn't realize, but like just tonally what each part of the film makes you feel and how it can switch entire tones for the last quarter of a movie it, it made me be like that made me kind of seek out other stuff this director did and let me to yeah, obviously close encounters and that's it now <laughs> the, the other the other hits from him it, it, it's just I, I love everything about it we've ta- we've kind of touched upon i think in previous pods where that all the dialogue seems so real his early spielberg's early movies they what how they draw you in so well or my opinion is how they draw me in so well it, it doesn't play like a current modern day film or production the convert truly feels like he pointed a camera at real people like you know they're actors right but it feels like real people living in these roles the uh, if the patreon listeners know an off pod i discussed the, the the scene for me in jaws specifically they do it in close encounters a couple times too around the dinner table but in jaws she's Brody, chief brody's wife is helping one of the boys cut his finger or something at the, at the um, sink and while she's doing that they're having a full volume loud conversation about nothing it doesn't have to include anything he's on the phone actually driving the plot forward and it just feels it draws you in you feel you're part of this town you're seeing real people in this scenario and it just helps when they get in peril those people makes you really feel that you're not just watching actors and he did it again in close encounters that was something that was really big with close encounters even though these fantastical settings and elements you know his early stuff he was just able phenomenal with doing that so it was an important movie for me matt (laughs) (laughs) mark what does the film jaws uh, mean to you I think it was early in my introduction to Spielberg, obviously. That's a really good note. I, I do think something about the way that they they shaped the film early on with having kind of mundane conversations about moving and being, pardon the obvious connection of fish out of water, in this like sleepy type of beach town and how it just turns on its head like they're going through the the mundane everyday tasks of being the police chief and he's like oh i have to make sure you fill out the form and i'll don't worry about don't worry about these these kids that are roughhousing and punching your picket fences and <laughs> I'll, I'll come by later in the afternoon and we'll take care of it and and you're kind of be, being lulled lulled to sleep so that when you get to it you're like oh this this town is really ill prepared for this and these people are just in their own little kind of cocoon that their their bubble of this like summer town this beach town is about to be shattered by this massive event and massive preacher so i think they do like a he does a really good job of of setting that up i think visually along with the dialogue you get like a nice really nice b-roll heading into it some nice shots of the town really great the underwater shots are just really really fantastic because they establish early on that the underwater shots are have that 
impending sense of doom. So when they hit you up with that that false false attack by the, by the two kids with the cardboard fin, you really have that sense of doom. And then you let up for a second, and then you're you're reeled right back into the danger. So just like seeing a different director's approach to kind of reeling the audience in and and playing with like what you they've established as the the concept of of what's going to be the impending doom for the characters and then changing that expectation and also like bill was saying to kind of downshifting and and changing the the tone and speed of the film with scenes of dialogue and interspersing some humor into it whether it's some lighthearted humor and some like darker humor based on human experience with sharing tales of your your wounds and your scars and how you got to be where you are it's a really just great story on like i I should say it's a really great example of great storytelling yeah no i think you guys both hit some great things one thing bill said is that spielberg kind of does a master class here in directing and yet this is like I think it's his third like major film at this point. He had done Duel, that kind of wonky, cheesy. You think you watch it on like TV late at night, truck stalking movie, and then Sugarland Express, which I don't think came out at the time he was filming Jaws. It was like it was done but not released yet, or something along those lines. I've never seen Sugarland Express, but Spielberg to this day is obviously Saving Private Ryan, Indiana Jones, E.T. You can, there's just the list goes on and on and on forever. It's insane what this man's done in his career, but you can almost argue this being his first like major, major movie could be his best. I mean, that's a, it's a decent argument to make and he's doing things here that that guys like Hitchcock were doing. It's just, it's really unbelievable. The first thing that, that I want to bring out and kind of make as a, as a talking point, this movie could have been terrible. Like most movies with this like premise or approach, like that monster type movie become like, C-list, like you laugh at them, they're so cheesy type movies that you watch on USA Network. Mm-hmm. And it could be like King Kong or Godzilla before that and just be really hokey. But I think Bill said it before that because it feels real, because Jaws is not like 400 feet long, he's 25 feet long. It's just big enough that it could feel real and all the characters and the events feel real. And I think that makes it scarier that all the events taking place and even the monster itself, it's not that crazy. It's not like that new movie where that, that monster, that sea monster is like how big? The one with the Meg? The Meg, thank you. Like, oh, a Megalodon. Like that's a, that's very much of like 2022, 2021, whatever. It probably came mm-hmm. out in the last three, four years, but the thing is not believable. It's crazy. It's cool to watch yeah. probably on a big screen. This is real and this is scary. Yeah, it's and, that, there's that overhead shot. Sorry to cut you off. There's that overhead yeah, shot where you first see the length of the shark. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember at the first. Uh, confession i mean truth truth be told the first time i watched it was on tbs or something when they used to have marathons on right tbs being like spielberg all this weekend and i remember that shot because like there is some gore in the movie but it's not it's not terrible it's mostly blood in the water is mostly what you see yeah that overhead shot where they give the scope of just how long i remember just you're right it was close enough to be real hairs are standing up where like (laughs) it it creeps you out a little bit because you're like oh that's off something's off about that It's moving, and and I remember at the time, and even now, like a lot of complaints are like, "Oh, the shark looks fake," and you're like, "I mean, you still check the water when you go in, and when you check the water, you're not thinking like it's going to be a tiny shark. Like no one's scared. You're in the water. No one's scared of a 
no one sees a tiger shark and they're like, oh, I'm, everyone has jaws in their mind. That's what we see mm-hmm. coming through the, the the murky water coming at us. Yeah, yeah. Totally. I'm not scared of sharks. That's what I'm saying. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I mean, yeah. no there, uh, there's something to that. There's something to that believability all the time <laughs> that me when I watch horror films, if there's that sci fi edge to it, then I can like just disbelieve in it and kind of convince myself, oh, this is crazy. This is over the top. But when I see a movie about like things that could actually happen, I find that's a lot scarier when it comes to horror films. Now, I don't think this is straight horror. This is a thriller and there actually has moments of comedy in it. I don't know if you guys enjoy Mm -hmm. some of those moments of levity, but there's a really good balance of, of just like those action comedy remarks that they throw in in between scenes. And then it's a buddy adventure film. The end third of the movie is an actual, it changes, the score itself changes tone. It switches over to, it has almost a feel of like the Indiana Jones, like it lighthearted adventure stuff where you're just like, they have all the tools they need. There's them suiting up, putting everything on. You're like, well, I'm confident they're going to take this over. And they they do pretty well for a good part of it. And then when you start to see, when the, when the shark slowly starts to dismantle all of their modern technology, their weapons, that's when it once again comes back into like this like, it's so cool because you have this like adventure like we're gonna get it and then all the dread comes like when, when it hits the boat when they're singing and it hits the boat at night that feeling of dread starts to set in you're like oh what is happening i'm oh i'm scared again. i shouldn't be scared anymore i'm once again terrified that i'm on this boat he did good even though they're on the open sea it was also a good feeling of like being like claustrophobic because when you're on the ocean on a boat, you're invincible. But the second your boat starts to leak, you realize you're completely at the mercy of this open sea. It takes away all of your safe space. Yeah, totally. And Bill, I'm going to transition from something you said there. You said the score changes. And I feel like we can't talk much about this movie until we talk about the score. So I'm going to go to Mark, who is kind of my music movie guru. Mark, what does the music, what is the score of Jaws? What is the significance here? I think the score is just as significant as the film itself because John Williams, not, there isn't anything that we're going to say here that we haven't already said about John Williams on this podcast, on any other podcast, on any award telecast. The man's an absolute genius. He's a legend in his field. And this is the reason why you've had a career that spanned two centuries, decades, multiple Academy Awards. The Having just that motif early on of the underwater shot and also just the jaws theme as a representation of the doom and the peril that's that they're facing instead of having to visually show jaws is one of the major strengths of this film and why this film shines sorry to say well over the other three movies question mark i think that there were that followed this where it becomes like a parody of itself but it's it's so simple but still when you when i hear that theme like the hairs on my arms like stand up just like bill was experiencing as on when recounting part of the movie so also that might be tied to quick personal side when i was younger i played on a roller hockey team we were the sharks and Mm. there was very low budget of a league so they they picked like very obvious teams where you could have themes that you could use that like 
were easily accessible. So you had the Sharks and you had the Saints, and they'd always play when the Saints come marching in for the Saints, and we had the Jaws theme. And I remember skating around the rink and being uneasy at the time. Anytime we came out and they well, put sure, on our yeah. music, I'm like, could we not? It's got to be something else. <laughs> no, you were right to be scared. Ice is made of water. Ice sharks. Yeah, exactly. It's a scary time. It's a scary time. (laughs) Well, Bill, Mark said there's something to the simplicity of the theme. And correct me if I'm wrong. Is it two notes, the theme? Well, the opening part, it has variations in it as it starts to go on. But the main part, if you want to quickly give us... No, I'm not getting sued. Are you kidding me? Nice try. (laughs) (laughs) I I didn't clear that. Yeah, I I, million stories about the production of this movie out there. But one of the famous ones is when Williams played him his idea for the shark Spielberg laughed in his face was like, no, really play me what, what you wrote for it. But piggyback on what Mark said, uh, agreed. It was able to, it, I mean, obviously in jaws four, it starts to roar like a lion, but up until then, this was the shark's voice. This was the antagonist's voice. Like even so much so that it, it wasn't, they were able to pan across just the top of the water and have that score fade out. They were filming nothing. I mean, they're filming the water. There's nothing there you connected the dots in your head and you're like, oh, it's swimming away. I know that because it's getting quieter. <laughs> yeah, like, it's amazing yeah. that they can use the music or the score and not have to show much of anything, like you said, but maybe water moving. And it was just as effective. It, it's really crazy. And to this day, it's probably one of the most recognizable themes in film history. I'd say put up there in top three, top five. Yeah, I, and I, I, a lot of that top five would just be John Williams. True, because well, you know, our, our, I, I personally would probably put this as the most worldwide recognizable. But in that top five, uh, Close Encounters is in there. Maybe I don't know if the newer generation knows Close Encounters as well. Among like, among Williams, like well-known ones, I'd say it'd be like this: Indiana Jones, Star oh, Wars, Star Superman, Wars, yeah. and Superman. The Superman theme is still recognizable now as a Superman theme, even though we've had like two different Superman movies since then with like different. Well, it's a Elfman too with the Batman theme. Yeah, like any any time they debut the new Batman theme, we're all like, <laughs> okay, no, no, he's he has See, a theme. Star Wars did it right where they just kept using their theme song, mm-hmm. but every other franchise is like, nah, let's do it different this time. Well, in fairness to Superman, when they did Superman Returns, John Ottman used John Williams' theme, and then just kind of went on on his own and, <laughs> and did he did like a passable job, but the man just knows he just knows how to connect what he's i'm describing the job of a composer uh, <laughs> break how, it down for us yeah put, yeah. put it put it in a little <laughs> but but it's it's just incredible how well you have the visuals connect with the music and that has to do with a marriage between the director and the composer having the same type of a vision right yeah. even if it's not initially it's having the trust in that that partnership that you're going to once once everything is put together that's going to tie together and then being able to see that even if you don't agree at at, at first glance. Yeah, I wonder well, how he's viewed and I mean I mean I may not ever know this but I wonder how he's viewed amongst other composers. Mm-hmm. He's certainly the most or uh, most I would say modern most famous composer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like I when the Star Wars stuff came out everyone was like I can't believe this is completely out of nowhere and but uh, if you start to do a little digging, you could see there are themes and elements lifted from the planets, which is the famous. Co- so I wonder if when all this came out amongst composers, were they excited that people were into the score again? Were they kind of like, well, there's a fair amount that 
is bar. I'm not, I'm not putting down what Williams did at all. I'm just, I'm curious of that now as we're talking more about his score. I, I know Jaws right. completely came from kind of just like a, a sporadic him stream of conscious come on, coming up with that. Right. But I'm, I, I wonder about the other stuff. Yeah. Specific, I think specifically Star Wars. I think it's a fair question. I think in any field, you always wonder how your peers view you. So I think that's a good question. Well, especially in music versus visual storytelling, right? When you're talking about composition and musical composition, everything's going to be borrowed. Music's yeah. been around for centuries, and there's only so many notes you can choose from and so many derivations you have of melody that work. Sure. We don't have to get deep into music theory, but you know, this is the time, right? You, like not every single note and half half tone can be used it, it wouldn't it wouldn't sound right if you use all of them at the same time so there's only a specific number of sounds in a specific like sequence that's going to be pleasing to the human ear mm -hmm. so there is always going to be that type of overlap and i think we've become more accepting of that more recently question mark? i think there was <laughs> i think so i think yeah. like there's there's more of an at least acceptance of that being the reality which is why a lot of frivolous lawsuits get thrown out they're like yeah that's not that's not a thing well the biggest i mean the biggest then we'll get back. I promise we'll get back to the shark after this. <laughs> I, I think I think a lot of that went out the window with the Robin Thicke, Marvin Gaye. After that one was settled, right. everyone was like, okay, mm -hmm. we're we're done with this. Like if it's mm -hmm. blatant at this point now, there's like blatant copies where like right. both both artists kind of just like tip their hats to each other and they're like, yeah, go mm -hmm. ahead. It's fine. What <laughs> if we me, throw you in as a co-writer? Yeah, pay me a little money and I'll be I mean, okay. we we say all the time our, our movie writer is gonna stop running out of are they gonna run out of ideas. Is and you say the same thing about music. Are they gonna run out of original stuff to write? I think you Not can say with that AI, baby. But you could say that about anything. You could say that about right. artists as far as painting. You could say that sure. as far as I think any sort of creative works. There's influence and there's copying, there's honoring. But I think there'll yeah. always be original quote unquote. Yeah, Just like you, Jaws, you like we were talking. <laughs> so, yeah. so I think what you guys both alluded to, and you get said in different ways, is how the music did a lot of heavy lifting. Mm -hmm. Because I think Mark said the film would only be half as good, or the music is pulls half the weight. And Bill said that it was making up for the fact that the tech wasn't there. So the music had to kind of fill in those gaps. And I think it's something really impressive. This was the first major motion picture to be shot on the ocean. So... That's a huge ordeal. I mean, this is the 70s. They've been making motion pictures for 50 years at this point. That's a huge deal. But the tech was still limited. So I love in film where they have to get creative, where they have to like fill in the gap and use your imagination because they just don't have the CGI at this point. Right. It almost ends up being better, I think. Every time we have to imagine or fill in the gaps for ourselves rather than have them show us everything. And I think that continues to film to this day. Well, also, I think it's important that whenever we can, and I think that's something that some filmmakers do now, like Christopher Nolan's also into the of this cut from the same cloth. Who's that? Uh -huh. Where if you can do something practically, it always is in better service of the film. I think the way that it, it reads to the audience then and also long term, it's going to be better in the on the eye passing the eye tests because yeah. you're you're not relying on the technology any of the films that have relied on technology from this era all the way up to like 2000 if you look at them now those tech heavy scenes are hard to watch like this shark may look kind of fake but 
it still it looks real enough that yeah. it, it's still unsettling right you have the close-up of quint getting destroyed by this shark practically and also that that goes into like sound design too because like when you feel when he gets crunched you oh, feel it God. based off of the sound the sound design itself yeah. but it's it's so it's like in it's not in the uncanny valley like you're like it's kind of fake but is it right like i don't have that type of a situation with this film that i have with some films from 20 years ago where or you're one like, of the jaws that's sequels. yeah exactly the the <laughs> the use of practical effects and something that I think would be almost as horrifying as swimming amongst actual sharks. Like this is, they just made this. I might, I might die. Right. <laughs> I mean, more, cause it also unlocked, horrifying. it also unlocked a lot of people's fear. I forget the name of the fear of rope, like robotics in water. There's like Animatro- a- animatronics. Oh yeah. And that's something I didn't know I had till I poked on that subreddit and found out. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, that's pretty, that's scary. The, yeah. the robotics underwater. Yeah. That's yeah. just equally as terrifying as the thing being real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just being like, well, that could come to life, I guess. Huh? <laughs> yeah. What if the machines take over, and just drag you under. You, that'd be nothing. I, I'm surprised it hasn't been more of that with the four that were made. Especially as they got to the fourth one and it was made in like a weekend for a hundred dollars or whatever it was. <laughs> yeah, it was sequels I will, up in kind to this. Now they have gone back and added CG to this movie, Mark. Mm, there has been true. an update to this movie. Yeah, that um, is true. Is but it completely is it unnecessary? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, you don't you don't see Jaws <laughs> all that much. I mean, most of the glimpses are quick. I don't think any of them look that bad. It doesn't take me out of the film at all. To this day, I see this film and it's pretty convincing. I think they do a really good job with the yeah, practical mm-hmm. effects. I think that's one of the big secrets to this film, though, is it takes a long time until you even see Jaws. I mean, I don't know the exact time. It's probably a good stat to know. Is it 40 minutes in, 30 minutes in? How exactly till you see like his face rather than just like a fin in the water moving? But it takes a pretty long time, right, guys? Yeah, it takes yeah. a long time. Again, like you, we've been going over the the music and the cinematography is doing a lot of narrative heavy lifting and being suggestive rather than being explicitly sh- showing him devouring people, which has become like the norm now. It's like it, it it's was like, the norm by the second movie. Yes, but like it's especially like recently, and I, I'm not necessarily objecting outright all the time. Sometimes it's kind of funny, but like when. <laughs> had like the piranha movies it's like all right i'm just seeing these people getting devoured by piranhas there's there's nothing there's nothing implied there's nothing building up like suspense it's just like oh that's what it would look like if someone got bit by like a bunch of piranhas right (laughs) right but that's also a very successful film technique now is to not show you what you want to see and try and hold off as long as possible i know alien which is a few years after this right did a good job of not showing you the alien for a while. You right. get little glimpses here or there, but it's mostly like you hear it breathing. You hear mm-hmm. the, the music doing a lot of heavy, heavy lifting. You see it from the side, the back. Mm-hmm. And I think you could probably count many other films that have used this technique because once you show someone, the audience, what they want to see, it mm-hmm. kind of loses that, the imagination, it loses that effect. It's not, it doesn't become as, as strong. Right. It's I really, will say, let's, yeah. put a little, let's put a little asterisk next to Alien, because I will say of all the movies that got all the movies that got sequels, Aliens is 
just as terrifying that they made just it's a ton of them on screen. When they yes. I will I will put the scene of Hicks lifting the ceiling to reveal them all crawling in the ceiling. I will put that. I mean, the first time seeing that, that is just as scary as a lot of stuff in Jaws, even the first alien. I will agree that Aliens is one of the few sequels that holds up as well, but I'd still, they're different films. Alien is like in this like thriller realm Mm -hmm. where Aliens is just kind of straight up an action film. Yeah, but also like we had talked about previously on the pod on that episode. Check it out. Yeah, Ooh, real great, real great that's discussion. some self promo, baby. <laughs> the best type of promo. Self love is the best love, though. You should know this from talking. I'm already about. a Patreon yeah. listener. Come on. <laughs> but that movie has done really well and stays just as good now because of its reliance on practical effects. Yeah. And also, coincidentally to this, I think seeing the alien at the end of the movie made me have a fear of wet looking things. <laughs> yep, yeah. which is cool. It's really telling that we watched all these when we were younger. Yeah. Ultimately, we're not like it's fun because we. I could watch a Nightmare on Elm Street and be like, <laughs> "That's silly. That's not real at all." Right. But then watch Alien and be like, "Yeah, but like, what if it's here though? Like, what if that's here?" <laughs> Isn't that crazy that you have like that type of a disconnect that I also share? Yeah, I mean Predator. Yeah. Too. I watched Predator and I was like, I'm not scared of this at all. There's no way this thing can come to Earth. But mm. Alien from Aliens, I'm like, that, yeah, that's probably out there. That's out Unknown. there. We don't know. <laughs> Movies are good for you, Audie. It's good for you. <laughs> yes. So, guys, I can need to share a missed opportunity because you have imp- the shark. No, I made a mistake. I meant to introduce the pod saying, hey, Mark, good to see you. How are you? And But today we're going to need a bigger boat because we oh, got Bill with us. And I just, I go. really wanted I mean, to go there. What, you could we'll just do it, it and post. cut it in, yeah. We'll fix yeah, it in post. Of course, post, we we fully edit this thing. That being one of the big quotes, one of the, probably the great quotes of all time and as far as film history, it, it's probably top 20, top 25 great film quotes. You guys agree? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I, yeah, so much of this. I mean, my, 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 my intro of Hello Back is just mm-hmm. an awesome improv line from a non-actor who was on set and you know for a fact they were like please i mean you guys know from probably doing some film stuff like working on student film stuff if you're an extra they're like do not talk we do not want to pay you oh yeah and it just set up the it's it was another little nugget that set the town up this giant burly guy who was like the hell is this i don't all right (laughs) like without a doubt all those people on set just continue doing their fisherman stuff when the crew left they were like all right, the crew's gone. I'll just keep doing my life stuff. And they yeah. say it's a crew and cast that like hated him because it went like a hundred days over schedule, twelve hour shoots, way over budget. It's mostly like everyone hated Spielberg that he even didn't show up to the last day of filming. Yeah, I mean, it, the stories about Dreyfus on this set just make him sound like an absolute nightmare. And by stories, yeah. I mean what he said he was like on set. <laughs> And then how much he hated the film and it was going to be a failure. And I understand that when you're in the middle of something, you don't want to. But like, I, I don't know. I, I think of that whenever they interview him for any of the anniversary stuff. And he's always like, oh, we were doing so-. You're like, come on, man. You're well documented as being like one of the first headaches outside of the stuff not working, mm-hmm. <laughs> like did not make it any better. Right. But his performance was great. He was great in it. Oh, he's phenomenal. I think there's going to be eventually a time we, we end up t- taking on Titanic where we have people talking about those their experience on set and that retrospectively they're like i'm never ever gonna do anything like this ever again okay cameron then, right cameron's like can you oh, hold your breath for 80 yeah, hours it's like how, how many how many of my cast and crew can i accidentally attempt to drown and 
Right. Give urinary tract infections. And, and now my movies are only underwater. <laughs> right. And then Kate Winslet went back. I'm, yeah. I, I still don't understand. But right. you know, if there's a good enough role, I guess you'll you'll be like, is it no. that or is the pay that good? Oh, the pay is little column yeah. A, little column B. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, there's so many great lines. I, a personal favorite is just like it ended up, it ended up coming back into my life all the time. I think Michael Schur might be associated with like that's some bad hat, Harry. It's <laughs> a phenomenal line. Yeah, it's a phenomenal line. Well, the, this uh, yeah, this the suit the mayor wears throughout oh the entire uh, is just killer. Like that is a phenomenal suit. The mayor, the mayor himself, is you you hate him because you identify with him so much. Oh, especially nowadays. Right. Well, He's yeah, so that's that's identified. that's one of the things that was applied to when everything kind of went crazy the past couple of years. That was the first thing that was applied that where the mayor from Jaws has taken over. Um, mm-hmm. He and it's a weird thing because when you look at it, maybe as you get the older I get, but who knows when you look at the town folks reason for being like against them shutting the beaches, you're like, wow. Yeah. I mean, if they don't, if they don't open this weekend, like all of these people will not have any money to like do anything. Well, yeah, it was July 4th weekend, wasn't it? It yeah. was like right before the right there. He's yeah. like, oh, if we if we shut down, we could save August. Like August, it's about to be Fourth of July, right? And this town's gonna be open. But I remember the just during the town hall meetings, they're like, oh, we have to shut it down for, I guess, twenty four hours. Like twenty four hours? That's like three weeks. <laughs> no, I do, it's definitely know, believable having this yeah. mayor that is is torn because he doesn't even though. They don't think it's the real shark they caught when they catch the first small shark that they get. Well, no, they all do. Dreyfus is the only one that does it. Bur- they convince chief, the police chief. Yeah. But maybe, uh, maybe it's a little bit, as the kids would say today, there's a little copium. They want to believe it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, they yeah. know in their heart of hearts that it's not. Now, have right. you guys, I got, I've kind of talked about how many times I watch it, but there's so many great little things he does in the very beginning of the movie when she's flipping through the book, when he's first like researching sharks. I don't know if you noticed, but one of the first pages he flips to is a shark eating a scuba tank and it exploding. And he flips oh, off cool. of it really quick. Yep. Spoiler um, for the end of the little, film. Yeah. And then beautiful I think, plant to pay off there. I think when he's unloading, when Hooper's unloading his gear, uh, I think the tank comes off in frame. It's one of the things you could see come off when he when they start unloading his stuff. They just mm-hmm. keep subtly dropping it in there. Now, obviously, we know. Yep. That would not explode anything. <laughs> Mythbusters has proven the bullet just goes through and nothing happens. But I love um, Mythbusters. <laughs> yeah, I grew up with mo- most of my life. I was always like, you know, if things go really wrong, I could probably rupture that propane tank over there or <laughs> air tank, and everything would. But yeah, they do little subtle things like that. They slip it. They slip that in there. Or him saying, "Do you know sharks hear with they see by hearing?" They go like, and that that comes back into play in the second one. In the second one, that's how he de- spoilers. That, that's how he defeats the shark. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just I could talk about this forever. I feel this movie's so good. It's so good. It, yeah, it just... it's 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 a great combination of we, we talk about blockbusters today, and I feel like there's a negative connotation to a film we call a blockbuster. Right. Oh, uh, it's just like a popcorn flick. Yeah. But this movie kind of does it right, where like story and characters come first, and but then also there's this awesome thrilling action mm-hmm. happening at all times, and that's why kind of this movie does it right as far as a blockbuster. Yeah, yeah, I saw I think the. Um, that's definitely the case. I, I sorry to cut off. I I saw the I, when it was out on IMAX last oh, year or great. last fall. Oh, it was so good. So aside from it being the, the the prints looked, the movie looked incredible. There was so much detail in the shadows that gets lost on a lot of the home viewings. Actually, I haven't. 
Maybe I should try to find like, the highest version I could find and watch it on this. But there's so much, there's so many details in the shadows, like just stunning photography he was doing where some scenes that seem like, oh, it's kind of like underlit and I don't really know what's going on. It's all details are all there. Like he really, you, you touched upon at the top, Matt, he really pushed all the tricks of like that he learned. It was, it was like a masterclass he put on. Yeah. He um, studied film his whole life. I mean, Spielberg, I mean, obviously he's on the younger side here, but he studied everything. They said Lawrence of Arabia, they studied, he was just, he was involved with everything and anything. He's Mark, made a movie about how much he, he loved <laughs> making movies. Yeah. Mark, what's that shot called where the camera pushes in, but you zoom out. So it gets out of the, uh, the, the, like the vertigo effect almost. Oh God. This is What's, too far back for me. Yeah, whatever a, the name of that is, the, he does that. that. He he pushes it in. He pushes in on Brody on the beach there, and that mm-hmm. the, the the feeling of tension you get from that because it's it's one of the longer ones ever kind of done in a film outside of just being like a crazy like effect. It's done for like it really makes you feel uneasy for how long that zoom goes in with the background stretching back behind him. Yep. Oh, it's so good. It's so yeah. So- there's so many cool shots, and they they said they did such cool things with camera work. I mean doing stuff underwater, doing stuff at the top of the boat. They just made some such cool shots in this film. And it was done on a $9 million budget. Now, you got to put that into perspective, guys. Yeah, what's that out to now? It's a lot. That's probably <laughs> at 60, 70, 80 million, if not more. You're talking right. 1975. But it was supposed to be a $3 million budget. He tripled what the proposed budget was for the film. But it's still, it's, it, it returned. It was one of the biggest returns in film history. I mean, this film, to the date, made almost half a billion dollars, which you got to remember, 1975, I mean, if you adjust it for inflation and the fact that films were not as big as they are today, wasn't as many theaters, this film was the biggest film until two years later, Star Wars was like, Lucas was like, hey, buddy, I'm taking over. Hey, <laughs> until, friend. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess you could say with that type of return that they're really swimming in, swimming in money over there. Yeah, there All the puns. I love it, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> But just to kind of follow up on what you were saying, I think why this like stands up so well as a summer blockbuster is that focus on like the craft of it, like forming your characters and making these characters likable and even understanding the motivations for the characters that are on the fringe or unlikable even, right? Like you have a couple of unlikable characters that you have sympathy for because it's well crafted in story and their dialogue and their interactions with the other characters that you understand why the mayor's doing what he's doing and why Quint is who he is and all these different things that are layered into it where you still have the spectacle both with the score and the visuals and finishing up with a big gd explosion yeah but it's not at the expense of story and narrative and character development and and just doing all the important things for a film first which is something that seems to be lost on some of the filler summer blockbuster popcorn flicks that we have been subject to yeah sure i mean this movie even has like a bunch of like continuity stuff that i I didn't pick up till a couple viewings in we're it goes from day to night in a course of minutes. <laughs> like it goes from in the middle of the night to noon and the ship, the boat they're on kind of the orca kind of jumps locations very quickly all around. I didn't even pick up on it till a couple, couple watches in. 
Well, the, oh, the, the movie because it, it just flows but under Correct. two hours it kind of hums along the, like you said the moments where they're talking about what's that famous speech from this film the indianapolis the indianapolis thank you that's like of one of the great scenes and not much is happening in that scene it's not like while he's telling it you're getting this grand cgi for films flashback it's just a great scene of someone telling a story or something happened even the lighting in that scene is that one overhead over the table there might be there might be a key light off to the side, but mm-hmm. for the most part, it looks like it's just that one light over the table. So the shadows are moving. So they yep. don't have to they don't have to be moved. I mean, the rocking of the boats there, the motion, your eyes not getting bored with them telling stories. One, the story is very interesting. The performances are great, but there's also movement going on that's keeping you visually entertained. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I talked about lighting this episode. <laughs> I'm so proud of you. So, our, our boys all grown up. So we this got, is what happens when I don't have a Marvel movie to talk about. <laughs> so our, our, our three male leads, three white male leads, which is one thing that is probably sometimes. It's the uh, 70s in America. <laughs> <laughs> you got Roy Scheider, police chief, Martin Brody, Richard Dreyfus playing the marine biologist. He's probably the biggest name of this film, you'd say, right, Richard Dreyfus? I, I would I would argue that it is. I mean, coming into it, he had the prestige going on. Robert Shaw. Yeah, Robert Shaw had all the, the, the shark hunter, right? The the accolades. He was yeah. very famous. Yeah, I guess you could you could Dreyfus say that. Came off, didn't he come off like a Tony win or something? Dreyfus wasn't that his? Not a Tony. Yeah, I forgot at that time who was the biggest. Dreyfus had just done something theater. Mark, listen, okay, I'm not an, <laughs> I'm not a I'm not an index, but I, I I think they were all, if we want to use letters like B list at the time which was the intention is not to have an a-list big name front and center star that's gonna take away from what bill has said is the kind of connective tissue that that makes this movie work for him is is this being like relatable as this town and this group of people like you're just dropped into this town and you're just seeing how these people interact and deal with a tragedy and a conflict yeah, I think if you saw an A-list, I would think B-list is probably generous for him at this point. I think, yeah, I think if you had an A-list at this time, it'd probably be distracting. I think it'd be about them. When you do a Russell Crowe, Master Commander film, it's hard to lose yourself in this world when you're right. like, all right, that's Russell Crowe. That's the gladiator. Right, these absolutely. guys, you didn't go in kind of thinking any of these guys were that big that they were bigger than the movie itself. No, absolutely. And I think that was by design. And I think that worked very much to the the film's benefit yeah yeah so this film like many we've talked about was recognized by the library of congress for preservation in the u.s national film registry it's a great honor it's a bigger honor to be accepted into our hall of fame here on the podcast so you're welcome jaws well now i know the answer because we talked off pod but matt what was this rated again This film was shockingly enough because I think people think of Spielberg and they think wholesome family films. (laughs) Jurassic Park is like borderline family film because there's some dark moments, but I think all of his family in it, there is family (laughs) in it. It, T you think of some others, but but then you got films like Saving Private Ryan, but this film was PG. And I said, Bill, how could this film be PG? But Bill reminded me the PG 13 rating came after this. It came as a result of, Temple of Doom and Gremlins. Yeah, this film had some mild nudity, some violence, which I don't know if would it be PG-13 or rated R in 2023. We've gotten really kind of prissy when it comes to ratings. This might be right on the border. 
This uh, would be close. I think with the, with, way the modern rating system is I th- absolutely. Be close. I think with the nudity, it would probably end up being an R. So they'd mm-hmm. probably end up either getting rid of the nudity to get the PG thirteen, yep. or they'd figure something out. Yeah, they were kind of cool with the nudity in the seventies. Yeah, you have a little cold open flopping titties happening in a PG film. <laughs> I, and it, yeah, so that was one of the things again in the IMAX print that the detail was all there. I was like, huh, this is a little more than needs to be at the beginning of this movie. <laughs> like this. Yeah. This this comes out of I understand when you jump in this if you silhouette when you jump in, in the water that's fine everything I was kind of like well this is a little this is a little too much for me <laughs> a little a little too gratuitous for Bill yeah I don't yeah. need this right now he's like R show give me that shark <laughs> give me the shark <laughs> give me the shark <laughs> so I saw it in Boston obviously it's, of yeah, course you did yeah. so a beloved film by Bill a much appreciated <laughs> film by both myself and Mark Bill loves the, the Academy of Bill. <laughs> This film actually did win several Academy Awards. Uh, Spielberg did not get the year, which he was kind of upset about, actually. Who won? Do you know who won that year? Do you have that information? I do not. And Best Picture, I think it lost out to... And there's no way to tell, so don't anyone... Yeah, it's actually impossible to know right. what History. the correct answer is. Yeah. History, is, they don't keep track of it anywhere. No, records from that time are spotty at best. <laughs> But it it won for music. I believe it won for editing and effects. It won for those type of awards. But best picture it lost to, and I'll tell you, but I need a drum roll, guys. One flew over the cuckoo's nest. Tootsie. It was, right? Right, Mark? Yeah. Yeah, one flew over the cuckoo's nest, which is a a fine film. Jack Nicholson. It's great. All right. That's that's fair. It's not one of those years where you're like, oh, come on. (laughs) Chicago? No, (laughs) Crash is one of them. It's like, really? Oh, yeah. Crash. Well, well, Crash was just like a victim of just being a terrible year for film. Chicago is like, you could have picked Lord of the Rings. Oh, my gosh. But yeah, yeah, one flew over the cuckoo's nest definitely deserves it. But yeah. But Jaws won a lot of awards. This was a film, obviously, the music we've talked about, but. Editing and, and and effects; those are three things that really make this movie go from like yeah. what could be a C or B movie and make it an A plus. Sure, it's I would proven in the sequels. Yeah, absolutely, it's proven in the sequels. It also yeah. is a movie that you can't you can't have a sequel to. Like once no. you show him, once him, sorry, I, it's wrong of me to assume. Once <laughs> you show the shark, yeah. that's it. There's no you can't put that back in the cage. Jaws and was short for Jawsina. It was Jawsina. Yeah. <laughs> And you couldn't even, I was thinking since we talked about it before, you couldn't even do the aliens approach with more sharks. That would totally make it unbelievable. Like it, would, it would lose any sort of belief. I want to see that movie now. 70 sharks. There's like 20 Jaws just like swimming around the boats. Well, uh, Before un- Jaws was hunted down, he sired right, and then, and then a group it, so what's of weird Jaws. Is, it, it, I, I, we don't have to spend a ton of time talking about sequels, but I think we'd be silly not to bring them up and discuss them a little bit. Like They never discussed that. They never mm. ever no in this in the second one I think there's no connective tissue right no it's just another shark yeah, yeah. and it doesn't make any sense if it's just another shark and then the right. third one the third one even in the continuity of the Jaws series they've ignored it it's gone away because in Jaws four they said it's a in Jaws four the shark follows her from Amity first of all it specifically hunts out his son kills him and then hunts the mom down to yeah. fly. It doesn't make any sense. So no. the original Jaws has a very good, respectable 8.1 in IMDb, which is like all time. Jaws 2 stumps to a 5.8, which, all right, it's a below average film. That's higher than I thought it'd be. Jaws 3 <laughs> goes to a 3.7, which is like... That's where I thought it'd be. <laughs> one yeah. of the worst films ever. I yeah, think but four Jaws worse. 4 goes to a 3 out of 10, which is like... 
the worst of the worst films ever made. Oh yeah, that's bad. Yeah, that's you can actually bad. see the. I mean, a lot of the underwater stuff. You can see the the tracks that the shark's riding on. You can see the pistons in the mouth. Also, it roars like a lion. I know I've said that. I'll say it again. For some reason, it roars <laughs> like a lion. It jumps. <laughs> it jumps in this one, which great whites can jump. It also the. I mean. Uh, this has been covered on a million other podcasts, but the fun thing is the entire subplot that was cut from Jaws 4 is the thread that would make the movie kind of make a little more sense in that the Brody family was cursed by a witch, and that is why it has come back all the other times. It was a way to explain it. I don't believe it was ever shot, but it I actually like sub- that. I think that's really cool. It was an entire subplot. There was a actually... <laughs> Maybe it was something in the water in the 80s, because that's also the plot of Weekend at Bernie's 2. Which is also the plot of Into the Woods. Okay, yep, there we go. They were very big. Also in the 80s. Some of the best subplots, Bill, are the subplots that are cut. (laughs) But that was the reason for the shark to be personally going after her. Because a... I believe it was like a, I want to say it was the 80s, so it was probably like a voodoo voodoo priestess that cursed them. But apparently that's why the sharks go after the Brody family and it's been going since granted none of this has anything to do with the actual original story or Michael Caine's in that fourth movie. He doesn't know that. He's never watched it. That's a <laughs> that's a thing he said. Again, repeating other other stuff that's out there. Guys, you sure know this, but the fam- his famous thing when someone asked him about Jaws 4, they said, yeah. have you ever seen it? He said, no, but I've seen the house it built. <laughs> um, I love it. That's great. It's a job. And I don't, they can't remake it. I think this is I think this is one of those movies that I, we were fortunate enough to have like happen in our lifetimes, but it's one of those movies that can't be remade. There's this Back to the Future they cannot do. Oh, they definitely uh, can't. I mean, Godfather. I mean, I mean, there's certain films that they don't need it. It's not right. necessary. Right. Mm-hmm. It's just it, there's no point to it. And and this movie didn't stay close to the original novel even. It's it's similar in a lot of ways. But just like you said, they cut out subplots in later films. They cut out the subplot in the novel about their whole being like an affair yeah. between characters. They, they cut all that out too. They just kind of stuck to stuck in focus to the main story. Yeah. yeah that's uh, between Hooper and the, the chief's wife, right? Yeah. Exactly. Cause yeah. it really would have undercut the, uh, totally the, the buddy adventure film that we had another 20, 30 minutes longer to a film just to like <laughs> make it about no, no, not everything has to have like some other like B or C reason. Right. Yeah. Right. Is it bad I mean, enough that there's a 25 foot shark? I mean, now they would fully have that plot. Oh, of course. They can't just have one story. They're called B plots for a reason. (laughs) They would have an A, B, and C plot. Yeah, but they're they're listed as a B plot for a reason. I feel like people (laughs) lose sight of that a lot. They're like, oh, yeah, so all this is happening in the plot, but what about the B plot? It's like, what about the B plot? Let's worry about the plot. For anyone out there that saw Sonic the Hedgehog 2 that came out this past year, Everything that human beings are in is the B plot in that film. And every review <laughs> says, if you're not with the humans, it's a good time. But once you get to humans, you're like, why is this wedding in Hawaii? Why is all this taking place unless they just yeah. all wanted to film in a really nice area? There you go. That's it. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a B plot for you. <laughs> that, that's a B plot. So Jaws 1975. I'm going to first start with Mark. Closing thoughts. Two thumbs up. 10 out of 10 would recommend. Nice. Straightforward. Bill, are you as enthusiastic as Mark? Yeah, it's good. I I I recommend this movie to anybody. And I, 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 you guys have heard me go on at length about it. It's not just here. I do it my everyday life. I, I think I my biggest thing is people that say I don't like horror. No, I don't like scary horror movies. I think this is 
such a perfect blend of a thrilling adventure movie. It's just, it's so well done that I, I don't know why. I just never, it never grouped into horror for me. Yeah, it was always say, just. Bill, is this a way for people to dip their toe into the water? Yeah, just when you thought it was safe <laughs> to yes. have Bill on the podcast again. No, right. I mean, that's if, it's uh... it's definitely mixes the genres and it does a great job. And you could say that about Indiana Jones films, how you're like at the edge of your seat, but it's an adventure as well. I think Spielberg does a good job with mixing genres. And this film is probably his first breakout, truly breakout film, does a great job of being scary, but it's not a, I wouldn't call it a scary movie. It's not a horror film. It just dances that line so well. It's a timeless film. I think it's just as strong in 2023. And I would love if this came back to theaters. I, I definitely wouldn't want to pass it up again. But if you can get this in like a Blu-ray or 4K, this movie looks great. It's still Only one jump good. scare. Only one jump scare. Two jump scares in the whole movie. It's a couple. That is a great horror movie. And uh, Ben's face. Know. Yeah, it's not cheap. Mm. It's not. They're not cheap thrills. And then chumming the water. Those are the yeah, two. Yeah, that's true. I, I, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I, I think we should really pay attention to the Spielberg guy. Because I think <laughs> he might be something special. Yeah, I think we, if we put our stock in him like forty years ago, we'd be doing pretty well right now. Yeah. Is that a thing you could just you could just invest stock you can in buy one stock person? in directors? That was yeah. a that was like oh. a B plot. Actually, that was a B plot in a movie from two thousand one called Frequency, <laughs> where he says, "Remember this word," and this will really date this as a two thousand one movie. Yeah. Yahoo! Oh no. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's where he's frequency is where he's talking to his father in the past to solve. Right. I never embrace crime, Right. Yeah. yeah to, to solve his, uh, what ends up being his, his, his father. Well, he, he ends up trying to solve his father, his mother's murder. Cause he, he saves his father. Yeah. Right. died in a father, uh, a fire by Dennis Quaid, giving advice, Dennis Quaid and Weasel. There it is. Good old yeah. JC. <laughs> I never believed in the Yahoo search. I was never one of those guys. Hold, no, on. Hold on here. But I Hold. love I love a good B plot, so I had to name drop Hold Yahoo for this. One purpose. second here. You are not allowed to talk search engines, Matt. <laughs> Google's I want, you know what? Good. You know Google's what? I want you when, I want you to let your listeners know how you go about well, searching. Well, my, my screen goes to Bing, but then I type in oh, Google to search. No. I just haven't changed the auto homepage whatever he every time he search he <laughs> i bing to google google he's a bing boy <laughs> no but i said but i don't search in bing i start with bing and then i go to google you bit you bing it is that is that the, <laughs> he is, bings that it. the is that the accepted verb form well just, guys that microsoft afloat that'll do it all for us today on this podcast <laughs> <laughs> if you bing something if you if you did it in the past is, does that mean you bonged it yeah you bonged it or, it's the it's the ricky martin son or it's been bonged <laughs> bing bong bill thank you for joining us guys on the thank Hall you i'm so happy you have me on for this one thank you so uh, much. appreciate it and mark thank you as always for joining on the hall of fame movie podcast i i love being here please don't get rid of me <laughs> <laughs> that was well, great yeah. there was there was there was some <laughs> tone in his voice yeah. so guys thank you i appreciate it a lot of fun guys check our back catalog we're 60 episodes deep in this mission sent by god given this, to me and mark this buddy adventure film this buddy adventure <laughs> film with with we need a bigger boat yeah, so do. thank you guys as always please leave us a review and we'll see you guys all next time From Mark and Matt, thank you for listening to the Hall of Fame Movie Podcast. Check us out on Instagram at Hall of Fame Pod 
or email us at thehalloffamepod at gmail.com. Please leave us a review and be sure to tune in next time.